Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And before we get started with today's episode, I did want to make a statement that I don't love making. But if this isn't your first time in Virtual Legality, if you like what we do here, as you probably have seen in the videos that we have done, YouTube has been problematic for this channel's content. It has demonetized almost every video. And now with the robots and the algorithm really taking over for that process, uh, it has happened more and more often, including three out of the last five videos that we have done. And unfortunately, uh, because of, I think, the kind of crush of things that are happening right now and, and because of the situation in the world, those have been happening later and later. So a lot of the videos that we did last week were green all the way up while I was monitoring them, while I was responding to comments. And then sometime after I left that monitoring process, they turned to demonetized. And then it took a number of days to get them back on the monetization schedule, which isn't the biggest deal in the world. Uh, but I think it does prevent the, the videos from going out there. It certainly prevents YouTube from suggesting them. And so if you do like what we do here, if you are a follower of virtual legality or otherwise have enjoyed one or more of our previous videos, if you could tell people about it, if you could like, subscribe, comment on this video, just generally spread the word on what we're doing here. My hope is that if we can get to certain thresholds of size, that at least we can get the benefit of the doubt from those bots and algorithms. But if this is your first video in virtual legality, that message isn't for you. I don't anticipate or don't want anybody to like, subscribe, do anything else on this channel unless you like the content that we're putting out there. So that's kind of the opening statement. I hate doing that at the front of the video, but it has been affecting the channel. It has been affecting how the videos are received and how YouTube is treating the content on this channel. And so if you do like what we do, if you could help us out with that, I would very, very much appreciate it. Now, without further ado, let's talk about this Earn It Act. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the process in the United States, this isn't a bill yet. This isn't even close to a bill yet. This is a bill that has been introduced. It's not a law. It's not anything that's on the books. It has been introduced primarily by Senator Lindsey Graham here, as, as we see in the photo. And it is designed to do certain things in the effort, purportedly, to help prevent child exploitation on the internet, in particular child sexual exploitation. Now, I say purported because one of the things that is a major problem with this act, and we're going to look at the source material as we do in virtual legality, that's what we like to do, we like to talk about those things, certainly as a jumping off point from these articles that kind of describe things for us, but so that we can evaluate them ourselves. And when I say it purports to do those things, the act itself doesn't actually set any parameters, doesn't set any guidelines. It kind of aims a future commission to think about things, to put forward recommendations, and then obligates Congress to essentially consider and potentially codify those recommendations in the law. And if you don't do those things, you can get into trouble and get into trouble in a very specific way that we are going to talk about with respect to the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, which is one of those bugaboos that a lot of folks like to talk about on the internet and a lot of politicians like to talk about right now because it provides what they call a liability shield for internet service providers like Google and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and various other kind of internet platforms that allow for users to put their content in front of the eyes 
of other users. Now, before we dive into this article, I always like to give the hat tip. I love to get recommendations for what I should cover here in virtual legality because I can't get to everything. I don't know what it is that you all would like to see me cover, and I have a limited amount of time to cover any specific thing. So I'm very much appreciative of getting a note yesterday night from Justin Green at Anime Cowboy on Twitter that said, hey, Hoag Law, would you be interested in covering the topic of the Earn It Act bill? And I said, hey, maybe. I haven't looked at it right now. It's Sunday night. I'll check it out. I'll see what it is. And I'll see whether or not I have anything that I want to add to the conversation about it. And as I looked at it this morning, as I was reading these articles and I was looking at the act, I said, yeah, let's talk about that because it is a significantly problematic kind of structure for a bill. Now, one of the things before we dive into this, we don't like to really dwell on specific political issues here on virtual legality, but one of the things I will say is just kind of a philosophical standpoint is it's always a bad thing, whether you're negotiating for a contract client, whether you're looking at statutes, whether you're trying to evaluate the state of the world, to agree to agree, to kick the can down the line and say, we're going to figure things out later. Congress likes to do this for obvious political reasons. They don't have to worry about the ramifications at this moment in time. They can kick it down to later. They can worry about what a commission says later, and they can reject it entirely if it doesn't come out the way they want it to in 18 months or two years. So it it makes sense from a certain political standpoint. But for us, who are just trying to evaluate what the lay of the land is, what the ecosystem of the world is, it's not great to have something with very, very draconian, very harsh penalties attached to lawful requirements that we don't know the contours of yet. And so we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about what it purports to do in terms of protecting kids, which I think most, if not all of us, can get behind as a philosophical notion. But the fact that it doesn't provide those parameters right now leaves open all of this area for bad actors to get in there and make requirements that aren't quote unquote anticipated in the current act. And if those requirements aren't followed by private corporations like YouTube and Google and Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else, then they can get all of this liability that will essentially shut down certain kind of ways that we interact with the internet. Now, some of you might say, hey, that's worth shutting down. We don't care what these things say in the future. That is well within your political rights to have that feeling. But in terms of operating right now, in terms of evaluating this bill, I'm going to complain about what it lacks in terms of structure and the draconian penalties it imposes because kicking that kind of agreement down the road makes it very, very difficult to evaluate the current bill and to figure out what, if anything, you should be doing if you are a content provider for a a internet service like Google or, or YouTube, like this video is, or if you are YouTube, how you should react to something like this. So with that as the introduction, let's take a look at this Verge article. We're only going to read a little bit about it. I will link this in the description to the video so you can check out the article yourself. But then we're going to pop in and talk about the laws at issue. It says, Congress proposes anti-child abuse rules to punish web platforms and raises fears about encryption. Now, it's very interesting. I looked at a bunch of articles on this particular topic, and almost all of them concept out this fear about encryption. And I think that's a legitimate fear. It's interesting to me that the way this has been kind of portrayed all focuses on that specific fear because encryption is only one component of what anybody could be fearful about here. And again, that's the nature of this thing to say, we are going to decide on these things later. 
Those decisions could be anything. We're going to see how broad the ambit of this purported commission is to be. And it's so broad that, yeah, they could ask for encryption backdoors. They could ask for all sorts of stuff that have these problems that are identified in things like the headline to this Verge article. But they could ask for all sorts of other stuff that we can't even kind of think about right now that go beyond encryption. So encryption is one component. Maybe it's the most important component. It's certainly something that politicians have been focused on as of late, trying to figure out how to help the FBI and the DOJ get access to encrypted files that are private communications and are essentially facilitated by these internet services. A lot of the law enforcement community doesn't like that at all. And a lot of the privacy-based community likes that, of course, likes to have encryption on either side and says, yeah, okay, sometimes criminals will use those kinds of things, but also lawyers will use those kinds of things. Also journalists will use those kinds of things to communicate with anonymous sources that are very important to the functioning of the country. And so there are arguments to go on both sides, but encryption is only one piece of this much larger puzzle. Senators have proposed a law requiring websites to actively fight child exploitation or risk losing legal protections. Somewhat, right? We're going to get to it. The bill, Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies or Earn It Act, a sidebar, I think you've heard me say it in virtual legality before, but the further you have to stretch your words to hit your acronym, the less I trust your particular bill or proposed statute. And this is a tortured use of the English language that you can say earn it. It was introduced by Senators Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, and Diane Feinstein and Richard Blumenthal today. It would establish a new government commission composed of administration officials and outside experts who would set best practices for removing child sexual exploitation and abuse material online. The principles are theoretically voluntary, but if companies don't comply, they can be held legally responsible for that content, losing some protections provided by Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is a great introduction for us. As I said, Section 230 is one of those great internet bugaboos, people fighting about what's a publisher versus what's a content provider, all this good stuff. But if you're only seeing those arguments kind of on a Reddit thread or just uh, twittering away from someone, I think it's useful to jump in and see what this thing actually does. So we've got findings, we've got policy, and then we have the actual operative language. It says no provider or user of an interactive computer service. So here you think Google, when they provide YouTube, shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So to break that down from a legal perspective, this is the liability shield. It basically says no Google, Facebook, Twitter will be held to be the one that is speaking when somebody says something through the use of their service. So when Bob tweets something and it violates the laws of country X, or it is a criminal act somehow, like the distribution of child sexual abuse material, things along those lines. It isn't Twitter that published that. It is Bob that published that. That's what this section does. And I think a lot of good, smart people think that that has helped facilitate what is the robust communication pipelines on the internet. Because as you can imagine, if Twitter is instead responsible for what Bob posted, 
then Twitter has all sorts of issues allowing Bob to post in the first place and has to think about the rules and regulations and how it operates its service so that it doesn't have essentially unlimited liability for all the scuzz buckets out there that'll post whatever they want. If you've been to Twitter, you know there are a lot of scuzz buckets. This is a legal term, by the way. You can look it up. But you know that there are people out there that are posting things that Twitter wouldn't want to be coming out of its mouth. And when I've talked about Section 230 in the past, I've talked about it by by analogizing it to a billboard company. The way they have tried, and I say they to mean the government and the legislation here, has tried to identify these specific interactive computer services is like billboard companies. That the billboard company itself doesn't get sued for something that they post, that they sell advertising space on. And you can go after the person that bought that advertising space for for reason X or reason Y. But it's not the billboard company's fault in general. If they've got deep pockets, you can always bring anybody you want into a lawsuit and they can try to get it dismissed. But that is what this statute is trying to do. It's trying to say, okay, they can't possibly know everything that everybody posts, but we still think these things are useful. We still think this kind of communication is valuable. And so we are going to give them this liability shield. It also says, as kind of the corollary here, that no provider of an interactive computer service shall be held liable for any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable. This is where you get into those fights about what the First Amendment means and whether YouTube can pull videos and whether Twitter can ban users. The answer is yes. And the answer is yes because of this section, 230, that says you cannot be held liable if you run a Twitter for removing something that you otherwise find objectionable which in my opinion is too broad. It's an umbrella term. It creates a lot of the problems that we see today. And I do think Section 230 deserves another look at, but this is the current state of play. This is what 230 is. This is what politicians object to, whether it's Section 1 or whether it's Section 2. You've got politicians of various stripes that have issues with these things. Enter the Earn It Act, which is so anachronomized because they want to say, hey, if you get that liability shield... You need to earn it, internet service providers. That's the purpose of the acronym in this specific instance. And so let's take a look at what they're actually talking about. There is established a National Commission on Online Child Sexual Exploitation Prevention. Just just comes right off the tongue, doesn't it? The purpose of the commission is to develop recommended best practices that providers of interactive computer services may choose to implement to prevent, reduce, and respond to the online sexual exploitation of children, including the enticement, grooming, sex trafficking, and sexual abuse of children, and the proliferation of online child sexual abuse material. Now, a couple of things should jump out at you when you read this purpose, and it's all at the very start. The purpose is to develop and recommend best practices. Note very carefully that they aren't describing this as legal requirements, although they will be in practice legal requirements. Best practices is important because they're trying to say that this is going to be a voluntary action on the part of the companies. We aren't diving in to whether we've got constitutional issues, whether it's First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, whatever you might see or read in various people talking about this act and people objecting to it. We want to say we're Congress. This is all voluntary. We're just going to identify best practices, And then we're going to codify those best practices in a statute 
And then if you don't use those best practices, you are going to be liable for essentially everything that anybody posts on your service. But it's just a recommendation. You can be liable if you want. It's your choice. And that's what they have put out there. Interactive computer services may choose to implement to do all these things. But if they don't, we've got a section here that's going to address if they don't. So yeah, you know, it looks a little bit like a legal requirement, but it's not a legal requirement. It's just best practices with a consequence. I mean, that's not a legal requirement, is it? But of course it is. Now they describe the membership. It's going to be a commission of 19 people. If you've seen government commissions, you know they're they're huge. 19 people is actually a fairly normal size for them. They've got a few federal officials, the attorney general, the secretary of Homeland Security, the chairman of the FTC. And then they have 16 members, essentially eight of which will be designated by the Senate, four from each party, eight of which will be designated from the House, four from each party. And then they are supposed to have certain qualifications. Four shall have current experience in investigating online child sexual exploitation crimes, two on the law enforcement side, two on the prosecution side. Four shall be survivors of online child sexual exploitation. Two shall have current experience in matters related to constitutional law, consumer protection, or privacy. Just in terms of numbers, you should be seeing here what they care the most about, right? Four on prosecution, four on survivors, two on privacy, which is fine. All of politics is making value-based determinations like this. Obviously, as someone that cares about how the internet currently operates and looks at this and says, I haven't even gotten to what this commission is supposed to do, but I'm, I'm noting the numbers and I see that you aren't as concerned with privacy, constitutional law, and consumer protection as I am. So you've already kind of put your thumb on the scale here for what this should look like. Two shall have current experience in computer science. Four shall be individuals who currently work for an interactive computer service. Two will have current experience in addressing online child sexual exploitation. And two shall have current experience in addressing online child sexual exploitation of a different size, uh, of less than 10 million registered monthly users. So this is big and this is little. And so we've already kind of got this notion of how this thing is to operate. There's going to be 19 folks. And essentially, there's going to be two designated to worry about your constitutional protections, your consumer protections, and your data privacy, because that isn't the purpose of something like this. Which leads to our next sidebar, which is that while this is all very noble from a philosophical standpoint, I don't think anybody wants to see child sexual exploitation. I think it's a worthwhile endeavor to try to cut down, to try to cut off from the internet. It is worth noting that virtually every piece of legislation, every statute, everything that is framed specifically as for the children or to prevent something like what is described here, you should absolutely take with a grain of salt and you should try to think about it separate from what it is attempting to do, what it is aimed at by virtue of its recitals, what it's going to be put out there to the press is trying to put aside all of this sexual exploitation, all this kind of stuff, because it's going to have effects that are beyond those things. And for the children or to prevent sexual exploitation, all these various things, all these various reasons are designed to appeal to the emotionality and to the good-hearted moral philosophy of, I would say, the large, large, large portion of American citizens. And so they do that so that they can help push forth things that you might not otherwise agree to. So my recommendation when you read these things is not that you should just put aside this. This is a worthwhile endeavor to try to cut out these things. But to just pretend that that wasn't a part of it and to, to try to evaluate this statute separate from that question, if this wasn't aimed so specifically at that, 
How would I feel about the structure of what is proposed here? How would I feel about the very small hints in the language that we're going to be able to pick up on, on what is effectively proposed here, even if the rules aren't to be put forth for a number of months? How would I feel about all these things if children weren't the main topic of consideration here? Because I think that's a useful kind of evaluatory technique to kind of figuring out how you actually feel about how the statute would operate in practice. Continuing on, the duties of the commission, I skipped a little bit about how they're supposed to meet and how they're supposed to fill vacancies, et cetera, et cetera. Not later than 18 months after the date on which a majority of the members of the commission required to be appointed have been so appointed, the commission shall develop and submit to the attorney general recommended best practices that providers of interactive computer services may choose to engage in to do all these various things to prevent child sexual abuse material from proliferating on their services. So we've got what they are supposed to do. They're supposed to form this commission, and then not later than a year and a half later, they are supposed to submit a best practices guideline document to the attorney general. Now, I will tell you in my experience, if you don't follow these things regularly, 18 months is a bit aspirational. These dates don't have penalties that go along with them for not hitting them. And so a lot of the times these commissions will struggle to get done with what they are supposed to get done by the time limit that is put forth in a statute. So it might be 18 months. Some commissions do deliver reports on the time frame that they are supposed to deliver them, but more likely it's two years or maybe even more. And they're supposed to deliver these to the attorney general. And then they're also supposed to figure out alternatives. They're also supposed to figure out, hey, we did those best practices, but maybe it shouldn't apply to certain sizes or if they're not available to the public or if they're primarily business to business or maybe if they don't have the capability of transmitting or receiving data as part of what it is that they provide on the internet. So maybe we have to come up with not just the main best practices, but also secondary best practices. And then that says, notwithstanding paragraph three, the alternatives described in this clause may exclude certain matters required to be addressed under that paragraph as the commission determines appropriate based on a whole bunch of natures of particular products or services that we can't identify right now, but we assume the commission will do in the future. Good luck with that. And that is what they are supposed to do. But now we can actually look at what are the matters that they are supposed to address, and we can identify the umbrella powers that are granted to this commission and what issues would be present if we can't anticipate what they are going to do two years hence, right? And that's where this discussion about encryption comes in. That's where all of this kind of problematic messaging comes in, why we see all these articles about the Earn It Act and why it could be a problem. It says, the matters addressed by the recommended best practices developed and submitted by the commission shall include, not be limited to, by the way, for you lawyers out there, this doesn't have an exhaustive list of what the commission should address. This is just what it shall include. If they want to add other things, they are free to do so because they are empowered as a commission to determine these best practices. But let's take a look at this list. A, preventing, identifying, disrupting, and reporting child sexual exploitation. Well, that's the whole basket, right? The commission can come up with any rule that it wants for preventing, identifying, disrupting, and reporting child sexual exploitation with no kind of safety bars there. There's no limitations on what that might be. So yeah, if they want to say there needs to be backdoors on every bit of encryption on every website, if that will help prevent, identify, disrupt, or report child sexual exploitation, and I think it could be argued that it would, uh, if it saves one life kind of rulings there, then they can advocate for it. They can put it in their report and then we'll see what happens with that, but it's a problem. So that's the blanket authority that they have to do whatever they want. 
B, coordinating with nonprofit organizations and other providers of interactive computer services to preserve, remove from view, and report child sexual exploitation, to require these service providers to have in place a system of preservation, removal, and reporting. Now, reporting is kind of vague there. It's almost a passive voice kind of concept. Reporting to who? Reporting to the Federal Trade Commission? Reporting directly to the House or the Senate? Probably not. Reporting to a new agency that would be developed? Because of the blanket authority granted in A, it seems likely that they would advocate for some kind of new organization to handle things like this. And then you would require this preservation, removal, and reporting to that agency. But that's all a guess because we don't know what this thing will look like in two years. Section C, retaining child sexual exploitation content and related user identification and location data. So not only do we have in section A that we have this blanket authority to require you to do various things, not only in section B do we have a reporting requirement, now we are requiring you to retain user identification and location data. Because you can't necessarily tie it specifically to child sexual exploitation content on any given post or any given edition of user-generated content, presumably that means the best practices requirement would be that you retain user identification and location data for everyone that interacts with your service. And then if you've got broken encryption, if you've got section A already applying to the whole thing, you've got backdoors into your service, you've got user identification data, you've got user location data, you've got reporting requirements to some agency. It's all kind of snowballing into something where these service providers on the internet have to undertake this additional labor. And could it be used for things outside of child sexual exploitation? I think it's obvious that it could. Section D, receiving and triaging reports of child sexual exploitation by users of interactive computer services, including self-reporting. So they have to have a method in place to handle reports. I don't think that's unusual. As a matter of fact, right now, I think most of these services have a reporting kind of button that you can hit for these various things. And we'll see why in just a second. Section E, implementing a standard rating and categorization system to identify the type and severity of child sexual abuse material. Now, it's a little bit unclear here exactly who they mean to be implementing that rating and categorization system. These are best practices for the service providers, but it would seem like the government is likely to handle standardized ratings and categories because any given service provider would have different ratings and categories. So that one's a little bit unclear. It's not particularly focused on what this commission is intended to be doing, which is providing these best practices to the actual companies out there in the marketplace. But I think it can be read to mean that they want a rating system of some kind out there uh, in the market and, and kind of having to be implemented by these various service providers. The next section, section F, training and supporting content moderators who review child sexual exploitation content for the purposes of preventing and disrupting online child sexual exploitation. I think that makes sense. I'm not sure it needs to be by government fiat, but certainly it has been reported that people that have to moderate these things, that have to review YouTube videos for bad stuff, uh, wind up with certain on-the-job traumas uh, that it makes sense for these companies to start giving help on. Um, so it doesn't offend quite as much as some of the other sections here. But again, the question always being, does that demand kind of a government requirement at the end of a very, very sharp stick uh, that we will see? Section G, preparing and issuing transparency reports, including disclosures in terms of service relating to identifying, categorizing, and reporting child sexual exploitation 
and efforts to prevent and disrupt online child sexual exploitation. So you have to make reports. This is going to be an ongoing reporting requirement. To whom? Again, an open question, but presumably this commission would come up with somebody to make these reports to. And while this is an including and not an exclusive list of what the commission should be focused on, the items in this list are things that you can anticipate that the commission will require in some form. So some kind of annual, probably, transparency reporting requirement for these services will be required to be filed somewhere. Coordinating with voluntary initiatives offered among and to providers of interactive computer services relating to identifying, categorizing, and reporting child sexual ex exploitation. So there's going to be some requirement to coordinate with voluntary initiatives. Requirement and voluntary don't go together so well. So it's probably not going to be all that voluntary when the commission says what you have to do with respect to these initiatives. Here's a big one. Employing age rating and age gating systems to reduce child sexual exploitation. What that looks like is anybody's guess, but at least on initial read, it would suggest that the commission has to advocate for age rating and age gating of some kind on essentially every internet provider that allows for any kind of user-generated content on their service, which could be a significant issue for the way a lot of these services operate. YouTube in particular has avoided age ratings and age gates uh, for a long, long time, primarily because of the way they operate. It got them in trouble with respect to COPPA and the Federal Trade Commission because of the way that they use passive data in respect of people that haven't been age gated. But this would seem to apply it across the internet. Again, it's a guess because we don't know what it would look like in two years. Offering parental control products that enable customers to limit the types of websites, social media platforms, and internet content that are accessible to children. Again, is that intended to mean that YouTube needs to offer a separate parental control product or that the market has to support parental control products and that if it does, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook don't need to worry about it? Open questions. And then contractual and operational practices to ensure third parties, contractors, and affiliates comply with the best practices. That's pretty normal. Some kind of requirement that says whatever you've agreed to, you will say that anybody that you subcontract to will also agree to. That's the way NDAs work. That's the way a whole bunch of contractual relationships work. That's not that unusual. K is not the biggest deal in the world. But combined, this list says this commission shall come up with best practices that can be virtually anything under section A here will almost certainly require recommendations of age gates across the entirety of the internet and also require people to collect user identification and location data and probably have a backdoor to accessing that data, even if they have otherwise disclosed the aggregate versions of that data in transparency reports and otherwise worked with voluntary initiatives to help make sure that all of this child sexual exploitation material is not proliferating on their service. So, what you've got now is a noble and laudable goal to eliminate this child sexual exploitation content that is put forth by a commission with rules that we can't currently anticipate the contours of and which also will be essentially mandated to be approved or at least considered by the House and by the Senate. If we go a little bit further, we get to congressional approval. In this subsection, the term covered bill means a bill that contains only the recommended best practices in their entirety and is introduced under this section. And it basically goes through that we will introduce a covered bill as soon as these best practices are published and submitted to the attorney general. We'll introduce it in the Senate and in the House of Representatives. It will be fast-tracked for consideration and presumably 
it will be passed. The entire concept of this thing is that it will be passed. You can't actually obligate a future House of Representatives or a modified Senate in the future to vote in favor of any specific bill on this or anything else. But that is the object of this, is to certify, is to formalize, and to make these best practices what amount to legal requirements. And to require the certification of best practices not later than one year after the date on which a bill that contains these recommended best practices submitted to Congress is enacted, and annually thereafter, an officer of an interactive computer service may submit a written certification that it has conducted a thorough review and has a reasonable basis to conclude that review does not reveal any material non-compliance with the requirements of the best practice. Just so we're clear, you don't have a reasonable basis to conclude that you do not have a material non-compliance with the requirements of the quote-unquote best practices is not how we usually describe compliance with guidelines, is not how we usually describe the adoption of best practices. It is how we describe compliance with legal requirements. The big, the big clue here is the word requirements, non-compliance with requirements of best practices. Yeah, you've kind of given away the game. And so what we've got here is a commission that is going to put forth rules that we can't anticipate, is going to incorporate all those rules into a bill that will be fast-tracked through the Senate and the House, presumably voted up at some point, just kind of from a real politics situation. It's very difficult for politicians to vote against a bill that is framed as trying to prevent child sexual exploitation, although there will be a lot of fighting about it from privacy concerns and lobbyists and, th- and things along those lines. It will be difficult to fight against this bill if it does appear on the floor of the Senate and the floor of the House. And to vote up that bill and then to say, you, internet service provider, Google, Facebook, Twitter, you have to certify that you have no reasonable basis to conclude that you are in material non-compliance with these requirements of the best practices. Small, small sounds there. And what if you don't? Here is where the rubber hits the road. Earning immunity. Section 230E of the Communications Act of 1934 is amended by adding at the end of the following. No effect on child sexual exploitation law. Liability of providers of interactive computer service. Nothing in this section shall be construed to impair or limit any claim in a civil action brought against a provider of an interactive computer service under 2255 if the conduct underlying the claim constitutes a violation of 2252 or 2252A or is considered a violation of 2252 or 2252A by operation of subsection A2 of 2255. I think that says it all, doesn't it, everybody? No? You think we should look at these laws? That's fair. So 2255 essentially allows for a civil remedy for personal injuries arising out of these kind of child sexual exploitation concepts. Any player person who, while a minor, was a victim of all these statues and who suffers personal injury, regardless of whether the injury occurred while such a person was a minor, may sue in an appropriate United States District Court and shall recover damages or liquidated damages in the amount of $150,000. So that's the baseline. It says... Twitter or Google or YouTube or whomever will be responsible for this civil remedy if they had child sexual exploitation materials on their service and it falls under one of these kinds of other laws, right? And this basically says 2252 and 2252A are basically about moving child sexual exploitation material on a computer uh, through the internet. 
And so as you can see here, you've got all these various things that if they were to happen in 2252 or 2258, knowingly transports or ships using any means of facility of interstate or foreign commerce, including by computer, the producing of such visual depiction involving the use of a minor engaging in sexual explicit conduct, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got, you fall under 2252 and 2252A, then you'll have civil liability to this person. And this says that Google will have that liability unless you hit the safe harbor. This whole paragraph shall not apply to a claim in a civil action or charge in a state criminal prosecution brought against a provider of an interactive computer service if an officer of the provider has elected to certify to the attorney general under section 4D, the one we just talked about, that the provider has implemented and is in compliance with the child sexual exploitation prevention best practices contained in a law enacted under the expedited procedures under section 4C of such act. And such certification was enforced at the time of the alleged acts or omissions. In other words, we are going to put forth this series of rules. We're going to codify those rules in the law. You are going to certify that you meet all of these rules, which are just best practices. They're not a requirement, but if you certify that, then you are going to be prevented from being personally liable as a company for these violations of moving essentially child sexual explicit materials on your service. If you don't undertake those best requirements, if you don't do what we say, and you can't certify that because you didn't do it, then you are going to be personally liable for these things. Twitter is going to be liable for anything that is displayed by anyone if they can't certify for these things. Facebook is going to be liable. YouTube is going to be liable. And you say, okay, well, Rick, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. And my answer to that is, maybe it's not. You know, the Section 230 says a whole bunch of things that liability still attaches to. No effect on criminal law. No effect on intellectual property law. No effect on state law, communications privacy law, sex trafficking laws. But the difference is, in respect of these specific exemptions or exceptions to the liability shield under Section 230, we have statutes that we can point to. We have laws on the books right now that we can understand, that we can say, okay, yes, that should come out of the liability shield. That makes sense to us. What the structure of the Earn It Act does is say, you are going to have a new section here, section six, that says everything that we just said. You're going to be liable under 2252 and 2252A if you don't certify that you met all of these rules that we haven't written yet, right? We haven't written these rules yet. And so we don't know what it is that you're even agreeing to or have to agree to in the future or else lose all of the liability protection that I think a number of very smart people agree makes the internet what it is today. And so at a fundamental level, my main problem with this, I titled this video, you know, some version of the end of the internet is because what this would do if passed is give total authority to a commission to determine a whole bunch of rules that would be very likely to be approved by the Senate and the House because of the way in which the question is framed. Because it's very difficult if you're a politician to say that I'm in favor of sexual exploitation of children, which is how it would be framed as a no vote on any of this. And to say, you will lose your liability protection if you don't abide by these rules 
that we haven't written yet. And yeah, when you get to things like the headline in The Verge and they say, raises fears about encryption, it raises fears about a whole host of things. Section A is plenary authority, total authority. They can write whatever they want that thinks that it limits the ability for any kind of dissemination of child explicit sexual material. And if they do that, and if they get those best practices in a document and they file it with the attorney general, then there's going to be a law that codifies those things. And these companies are going to have to abide by them if they don't want to be liable for virtually everything that appears on their service. At the same time, those rules could absolutely have backdoors to encryption, could have rules that require you to abide by any given warrant, no matter how, how specious, and to maybe not appeal to a judge, to not otherwise exercise what other rights you might have in order to gum up the works of the law enforcement process. We don't know what those rules are going to be in two years because we don't know what the commission is going to be comprised of. And the commission has total authority to decide whatever it wants. That's why the structure of this is so problematic. It's not that it's not philosophically warranted. I think a lot of people can agree with the thrust of trying to get these materials off the internet. But the way it has been implemented here to kick this particular concept, this particular argument down the line, to kick the can to a commission that will kick it to a different Congress, because Congress will look different every two years, and to say to that Congress, yeah, okay, vote up this bill. And then if Google and YouTube and Facebook don't want to do whatever this commission of non-elected officials came up with, then they're going to lose the ability to say they didn't publish something that appears as user-generated content on their site is a bridge way, way, way too far for privacy advocates, for advocates of, in general, the way the internet is comprised right now, and you can see it throughout this bill. You know, I pointed out earlier, you've only got two constitutional people on the commission, two people that are worried about data protection out of 19. And that's the nature of this whole thing. They want you to earn immunity by complying with rules that they aren't ready to yet specify. And that, in my opinion, is a ridiculous, ridiculous poise and ridiculous stance for any legislator to take and certainly should be opposed by everybody in the business of working in or around the internet. And so when you get to the end of this video here in virtual legality, it's worth noting these things because I'm not against making steps to revise section 230. I'm not against constantly kind of reevaluating what the various levels of liability for people are. What I'm against is trying to agree to agree to something in the future and the penalty for not agreeing to that thing that you don't know is a complete loss of your liability shield and essentially on the internet, unlimited, indefinite liability. And the very last thing that they do here, which is also problematic, is they change a few definitions. There's a lot more in this section because they actually change the term child pornography to child explicit sexual material. And so there's a whole bunch of extra stuff here where they just change uh, uh, thousands of definitions. Uh, but right here is one of those areas where I wanted to focus, which is that they change the state of knowledge in respect of what a violation of this thing is to make it even worse. It says, the in subsection A, so designated in section 2255, 
which is right here. This is for Civil Remedy. It says, conduct by a provider of an interactive computer service that would violate 22 or 52 of section or section 2252A if that section were applied by substituting recklessly for knowingly, each place that that term appears shall be considered a violation of the section. So they've got this law in the books, right? It says any person who knowingly transports, any person who knowingly receives all of this stuff, same for 2252A, knowingly mails, knowingly receives, knowingly, knowingly, knowingly. They say, okay, that's the law. But for this specific class of citizen or entity in the United States, it's not going to be a knowing requirement. It's going to be a reckless requirement. So not only do you get in trouble under 2252 and 2252A and 2255 if you don't certify as to these rules that we haven't written yet, but if you don't certify as to these rules that we haven't written yet, you are not entitled to the same mens rea requirement, the same state of mind, knowledge requirement that everybody else in America is in respect of these laws. You, as internet service providers, have a lower mens rea requirement. You don't have to know that any of this is happening. You just have to be reckless about it. And let me tell you what the absolute first argument would be that you are acting recklessly. It's that you don't undertake the quote unquote best practices that we have written. It's an argument that writes itself. It is built that way in the law to do that, to say, if you don't follow these parameters, if you don't certify that you are following best practices or worse, if you don't follow any of the best practices at all, what could you be except reckless, right? We had a commission of top men and women deciding what a best practices is and you ignored it. That is reckless indifference. And so because we've now lowered the standard for these things to recklessness, we can get you coming and going. We can get you on everything that appears on your website, regardless of whether you knew about it, had any reason to know about it, or if anybody on your site took extra precautions and steps to make sure that you wouldn't know about it. And so what you would get if you passed this act, if you had a commission that looked for best practices for rules that we don't know yet and put them forth and codified them in a statute is that you would get either all of these internet providers certifying, following the best practices and a massive reduction in the way that they operate because these best practices are going to change things. You'd have a massive reduction in the constitutional protections or the data privacy protections that somebody could be expected from use of these services, such as allowing law enforcement to use backdoors to eliminate encryption end to end or whatever might come out of the rules of this commission. Not only would you have those things, but you might also have service providers that just decide not to allow user generated content in any form or format. You might have the end of various ways to communicate on the internet and the end of various ways that the internet currently operates. Finally, I want to leave you with one last thing, which is this. You might have seen a little bit of highlighted language when I went through here on section 230 before when I was talking about the exceptions to the operation of 230. You might have seen a little section here that says no effect on criminal law. And it says nothing in this section, this liability shield under 230 will not apply. It shall not be construed to impair the enforcement of section 223 or 231 of this title, chapter 71, obscenity, or 110, relating to the sexual exploitation of children. That's right. In case you weren't aware, section 230 
already exempts the requirement of internet service providers to report when they have reasonable suspicion of the proliferation of this content. They already have that obligation. And if they don't, they don't follow that obligation, then they are liable for the proliferation of that content. This shield shall not apply in respect of these criminal laws. So you ask, Rick, what does the Earn It Act actually do? I couldn't tell you. The Earn It Act kicks the question down the road and then requires everybody to agree to it in advance or else face consequences that are draconian and will significantly impact either the operation of the internet or your constitutional or data privacy protections. And yes, that'll have a lot of implications for how the internet operates, not just in the United States, but how it also interacts with things like the GDPR and other data privacy regulations across the world. Suffice it to say, if this act passes, if the commission goes forward with this, and if that best practices statute is codified, you will see significant, significant changes on the internet. And if you don't, it means those significant changes happened behind the scenes. And we should all be cognizant of what law enforcement can do with respect to enforcement backdoors and everything else. Suffice it to say, if this all goes forward and we wind up with a commission that proposes something to the attorney general, that will be a virtual legality episode in two or three years hence. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, please like, please subscribe, please tell your friends we are doing this kind of thing on YouTube. Leave a comment, help the algorithm, do whatever it is else that you do to help us out here. If you caught it on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully next time we'll do something with a little bit better news than Congress people trying to obliterate the internet, but I make no guarantees. I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. 